Hello and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode I've got a special one for you today. It's a cult classic, it's iconic, um, everybody seems to love this movie, I don't know anybody that doesn't like this movie. It's Labyrinth from 1986. So let's get out of the park, let's get out of the rain, let's get into some cover, let's play you guys a trailer and I will see you guys soon. Can you help me? Through dangers untold, and hardships unknown. You know your problem. You take too many things for granted. You're him, aren't you? You're the Goblin King. I want my brother back, please. No, that's the dead end behind you. <laughs> the way forward is sometimes the way back. How are you enjoying my labyrinth? It's a piece of cake. Oh. <laughs> oh she should have given up by now. She'll never give up. You have 13 hours in which to solve the labyrinth before your baby brother becomes one of us forever. And welcome back guys. So the synopsis for this film is 16 year old Sarah is given 13 hours to solve a labyrinth and rescue her baby brother Toby when her wish for him to be taken away is granted by Goblin King Jaraf. It's got a 101 minute runtime, it's a PG and it's classed as an adventure family fantasy movie. It was directed by Jim Henson and he's, he's iconic, he's a legend, uh, he's the American puppeteer and he is a man of many talents. He's an animator, he's a cartoonist, he's an actor, he's an inventor, screenwriter, filmmaker, it goes on and on. And he is known for the TV show The Muppets, uh, Fraggle Rock and another iconic movie, a very dark movie, The Dark Crystal. And for anybody that doesn't know The Dark Crystal, it's a fantasy movie made up of all puppets. There's no humans in this uh, film, no actors or anything like that. It's all puppeteers, it's all very cleverly done. And like I say, it's a dark fantasy movie about good versus evil. And whilst Jim Henson was working on this, um, along with the very clever uh, concept artist Brian Froud, it's worth mentioning him. And they said, during the production of The Dark Crystal, wouldn't it be great if we could make a film like this, but a little bit more light-hearted and a little bit more fun? So Jim Henson went away and he penned The Labyrinth, and this was back in 1983. And whilst Henson was writing the script, Froud was doing all the concept art for Labyrinth, he's putting all the characters together. And then Henson was thinking, I just want to flower this script up a little bit, I want to put a little bit more comedy into it and stuff like that. So 
to help him out with this, he went to go and see uh, the writer from Monty Python, which was uh, Terry Jones. He had a look at the script. It's quite funny. Between Henson and Terry Jones, they tore up, rewrote, and handed the script back and forth about 25 times between them. Sometimes they said it's too funny. Henson gave it back to Terry Jones saying you need to put a bit more humour in there. And he said, well, I did that last time and then I took it out. So do you know what I mean? It was, a, it was a little bit of that sort of between them to try and get this right. So, And then when they hired David Bowie as King Giraffe, everything changed then as well because he brought a lot of humour. He had lived a lot of his lines. Um, he brought the musical elements into it. I don't think um, Labyrinth was originally supposed to be a musical. It was supposed to be a straight movie. King Jaraf was supposed to be a darker, more sinister character. And um, David Bowie quoted uh, the reason why he wanted to be in this film. And I'll read that quote out. It's quite a good quote. And he said, The script itself was terribly amusing without being vicious or spiteful or bloody. And it had a lot more heart in it than many other special effects movies. So I was pretty hooked from the beginning. And that small quote there from Bowie is pretty much the heart of this movie. I think, I think Jareth is the main building block. He keeps the movie pumping along. Um, as I always say, you know, Sarah is the engine. But Jareth is the heart. He's, he's, he's not really... He is kind of like the antagonist, but he's not because he's, he's a trickster. He's teaching Sarah a lesson. He's basically saying to her, you've got to be careful what you wish for. But he's not particularly spiteful. I don't think he's really going to kill you or anything like that. But he's just, it's a its a different sort of movie. And I think that's why people like this film. It's um, a very clever film when you start digging a little bit deeper. And I guess I do dig a bit deeper when I'm doing these film reviews. I start um, looking at the trivia and the characters and all that. And I start noticing things. And I start thinking, oh yeah, I never really noticed that before. And oh, that's quite true, you know. It's like the next time I lose my keys and I can't find anything, I'll probably blame it on Jaraf because he is the guy that would probably do that sort of thing, you know. He is a trickster and it is, as the old saying, we've all heard it, be careful what you wish for. And you could say it is Jaraf that is the guy that will teach you that lesson. And that is all that he is doing. He is teaching Sarah a lesson. But I've gone off on a little bit of a tangent there with King Jaraf and David Bowie, but more importantly... Um, as I was saying, I was talking about the building block of this film. He is one of the building blocks because he's an incredible, clever guy. You know, he's a great singer, um, great artist, all that sort of stuff. And I think he's the right person for this movie. Um, and I also should mention it was the late David Bowie. You know, we lost him a few years ago. And that was a sad, sad shame that we lost him as well. You know, a great talent to the uh, music industry. And what's I talking about David Bowie and King Giraffe? The... Other actors or singers that were down to play King Giraffe was Prince. Could you imagine that? <laughs> it would have been a completely different film. Uh, Mick Jagger, Sting and Michael Jackson. So yeah, I guess if any one of those singers would have played you know, King Giraffe in this, I guess you, you would have had a completely different movie altogether. But we had David Bowie and... So like all these things, I cannot see anybody else but him play this role now. So, And before I move on, I think this is uh, David Bowie or King Giraffe checking me now because I can't get, seem to get away from this character. But I'll mention this as a bit of trivia. There's a little bit of a tie in between The NeverEnding Story and Labyrinth with David Bowie. And what it is, it's pretty loose, a pretty loose piece of trivia, is that King Giraffe has the same hairstyle as the singer Lamole who did the... Um, 
classic song for a never-ending story. So there you go. That's just a bit of IMBD trivia there that I picked up on. So I guess it's got a point. I guess it's got a point. <laughs> but let's look at who else is in this movie. Um, you've got Jennifer Connelly as Sarah. Um, and again, she does a really good job. I think it, she got this over Helen LeBon and Carter. Could you imagine that? I couldn't. I don't know. I don't really think I could see that. I think it's just, again, it's Jennifer Connelly all the way. And um, the rest are voice actors. So you've got Frank Oz. Uh, I think he did the voice for a Yoda. And then you've got the voice of Hoggle played by Brian Henson. So that's just the name, just a few there. And then the rest of the cast is made up of latex puppets. And they're really good. You know, it's great. It's, there's no CGI in this film. It's all practical. Um, just to give you an idea of how much work was involved. So with the classic dance magic dance scene um, with Bowie and all the puppets and all the goblins um, you had 48 puppets for that scene each and every one of them has their own personality their own look and then you had 52 puppeteers behind the scenes there trying to make that scene work and you had eight actors in goblin suits so just for that scene I think it runs about three minutes and 50 seconds on screen um, just to show how much work was involved in that in this movie and i lied about cgi actually um there is cgi in this movie in actual fact one of the first cgi title sequences which is the owl at the beginning that is totally cgi very clever and whilst i'm on the trivia here guys um so all the characters in this film can be seen in sarah's bedroom at the beginning either on a picture or as a doll or as a um, puppet or something like that and there's a picture of David Bowie on the wall, kind of like a blink and you miss it type thing. And there's also a book in the background called Where the Wild Things Are. It's a bit of a cult classic book and that's kind of like an inspiration for this film as well. And Labyrinth was shot over five months. I think it was at Pinewood Studios. They built some massive sets for it. I think it's a mixture of uh, matte paintings as well. I think it was some old school filmmaking that was going on there. Again, with all the puppets and everything. Um, Loads of artists, loads of puppeteers, special effects, all that stuff. It must have been a great set to work on back in uh, 1985 when this came out. And one of the film locations I've actually been to, it's the bit where Sarah is standing in the park um, doing all her sort of like Goblin King stuff and that and she's acting before she runs off with her dog in the rain. And that is the bridge and it's at uh, West Wickham Park, beautiful place. It's only open during the summertime for you to visit. It's like an old manor house. And opposite there is the legendary Hellfire Caves. I was having a hell of a day that day. Um, Labyrinth, Hellfire Caves. And then just to top it off, I remember going to... I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. I went to an old manor house. Just have a look around, just very ad hocly. I look in their museum and guess what I saw? Alice in Wonderland, all the props. Apparently that's where uh, Lewis Carroll wrote the book and I was like, I can't believe this. I've been to the place where they filmed Labyrinth, the Hellfire Caves, now I'm looking at Alice in Wonderland. How, you know, what's the odds? And it's worth mentioning Alice in Wonderland because I guess that is the main frame to Labyrinth. It's part of that genre. It's the same as uh, The Wizard of Oz, I guess. It's got the same sort of blueprint to it where our main character gets whisked off to another world and experiences some weird and wonderful things. So. 
And I suppose thinking about it, I could add um, Ash from the Evil Dead in this genre as well, you know, especially where he gets ported back to the 12th century fighting the army of darkness, you know, and all the weird and wonderful things that happened to him there, you know. Klaatu, Verata, Lictu! <laughs> Good old Ash. But all in all, guys, that is the production and how we got Labyrinth for now. It all got put together. And I suppose the other thing I need to mention here is the actual budget to this film. It had a $25 million budget. It was um, backed by TriStar Studios. But unfortunately, when this came out in 1986, it didn't do very well at the cinema. Um, it only took $13 million back from its $25 million budget. But as I said before... I, I don't like it when a film gets compared to how much money it's made because you know this is a this is a really good example of that it's like this film is loved it's cult it's iconic I don't know anybody that doesn't like this film and as time's gone on it's become a classic and so what it's so so I appreciate that the studio wants to make its money back and um, quite rightly so but I'm going to defend Labyrinth because when this came out, it came out against another film in the 80s called Top Gun. Same month came out, Karate Kid Part 2 and Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So you kind of got to give it a break. So in the end, it became the classic that it quite rightly deserves to be. But whether that will happen for John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars over time, I'm not sure. I guess we'll just have to find out. There you go. Little JC shout out there. I haven't done that for a while. But let's move on, let's get to the centre of that maze because time is running out. And let's do a bite-sized review of Labyrinth. So the film starts off with the title sequence, Labyrinth, with that CGI owl flying around. And then backed by this is the classic underground song by David Bowie. So you get a real tidy beginning there, you kind of get, kind of get goosebumps out of that. You know, you think, I'm catapulted straight into this classic movie. And it's the type of film that just gives you a nice, warm, cosy hug and makes you feel good. You are then introduced to our main protagonist in this film, which is 16-year-old Sarah Williams. And she is reciting from a book titled The Labyrinth in the park with her dog Merlin, but she becomes distracted when she is unable to read her lines. And I think this is where she quotes out the famous quote, You have no power over me. And while she's reciting these lines, you have a barn owl flying around and he's watching her. She then realises that she is late to look after her baby half-brother she's supposed to be babysitting and you get a scene where she runs home and it starts raining and then you get like an instrumental version of Underground. Which is really cool because I always say the music really helps the pace of some scenes and it works really well, you know, like I say, we're only like two minutes into the film you've got some really good stuff going on. Sarah gets home and her dad and stepmother go out for dinner and she is left to babysit her half-brother Toby. And she is frustrated by him because he can't stop crying. And he has taken possession of her favourite toy, which is called Lancelot. So she runs into her bedroom. And as I mentioned earlier, when you look at her bedroom, there is all the characters of this movie. If you pause it, you can look and you can see them all. And like I say, you've got a picture of David Bowie in the background. But then she's, because of her frustrations, she wishes that her brother or her half-brother would be taken away by the Goblin King. So she kind of conjures up a bit of a spell here and she says, I wish you could take him away. And then you get a really funny scene here where you see the goblins and they're all like, it's like they're in a cupboard all huddled up together. And he's, and there's like the leader saying, she has to say the words correctly. And then you've got one saying, did she say it yet? And he's going, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then she recites another word and it's the wrong one. And then the goblin guy goes, 
did he say it yet? <laughs> it's funny. And this dude puts his hand over his mouth going, oops, like that. And then the leader, Goblin, goes, no, she has to say. Right now. And then you see a scene where Sarah does say all of these words. You get like the thunder and lightning. And then she goes back into Toby's bedroom and she can't hear him crying anymore. And it all goes silent. And then you see some goblins rustling around in the corners and it's all dark. And it's quite a spooky scene, actually. And then you get the introduction to King Giraffe, David Bowie, turns up on the uh, balcony. And he gives her 13 hours to try and solve the mystery of the labyrinth, find the centre of it, gets to his kingdom and prevent her brother from being turned into a goblin forever. So then Sarah finds herself in the mystical, wonderful fantasy land of the labyrinth and she meets a little dwarfish man named Hoggle, which she keeps getting his name wrong, Boggle Toggle. And he agrees to help Sarah on her journey to find her brother and... At the start of the journey they come across some worms and they invite her in for a cup of tea which she refuses and she says which way is it to the um, centre of the labyrinth and they point in their direction and she goes off in it and then after she leaves the worms come in and say oh I don't want to go the other way because that'll lead you all the way to Jareth's castle so it's a little bit of a sort of in joke there. So then whilst Sarah is trying to work out the maze with Hoggle you then got this classic scene now with uh, Jareth, David Bowie, and he does that classic song, Dance, Magic Dance, where he's dancing with all the goblins, with Toby, and it's uh, it's cult, it's classic, everybody loves it, it's probably the one we talk about the most when we talk about Labyrinth. You remind me of the bee, bee with the power, power of you do, who do voodoo. And then between this song it sort of cuts back to Sarah and she's running through the maze and she comes up with this idea where she's got a bit of chalk and she's putting arrows down but then as she does it you get this funny little dude going and he sort of gets up from, from the uh, stone slab and then turns it back round so you know it's funny it just, it's just what makes this film great. She then comes across um, one of her first obstacles I suppose you could say that it's a couple of doors and a couple of dudes with... Um, one with a door knocker in his mouth and door knocker in their nose. She's got to switch it around for them to talk. And she has to answer a question. She thinks she gets it right. She opens the door up and she goes, oh, this is easy. And then this is where she falls down into a dungeon. And as she's falling, you get these um, latex hands or these talking hands. We're talking hands. And she says, what do you want to do? Do you want to go up? Or do you want to go down? And she just goes, I'll just go down. And she falls into this dungeon, she gets pretty upset about it, she thinks she's failed, and then she reunites with Hoggle. And then um, it cuts back to a scene with Giraffe at his castle, he's looking for a crystal ball and he's going, she shouldn't have got this far. And then it's funny because one of the goblins comes out behind his shoulder and goes, oh she's doing really well. (laughs) He's like, just turns around and sort of pushes him over. And then back in the dungeon with Sarah and Hoggle, um, they get visited by Giraffe. And she says to Giraffe, yeah, this is pretty easy. And in response to this, uh, Giraffe gives her another obstacle where you've got this machine coming through the tunnel. It's got all these knives on it. And Sarah and Hoggle run out of the way. They manage to escape it. And then it sort of flies past them. You've got these little goblins operating it on the back with these um, cogs and bicycle wheels and stuff like that. And then after escaping this tunnel, they come across um, another character called Ludo, and he's tied up in a tree. 
Uh, Hoggle runs off, but Sarah befriends him. And as Hoggle runs away, he comes across Jareth. And Jareth, thinking that Sarah's got too far here, he gives um, Hoggle a peach to give Sarah. And the peach has been poisoned, and he says to Hoggle that if you don't give it to her, I'm going to make you a prince. And Hoggle goes, oh really? He says, yeah, prince of the bog of eternal stench. And he goes away and he starts laughing. You then get another music scene here where Sarah comes across the creatures called the fiery creatures and they do a bit of a dance and it's a pretty cool scene. And then Hoggle comes to rescue Sarah from these creatures and this annoys Jareth and he turns up and he sends them to the bog of eternal stench. And this is where they reunite with Ludo and they come across another character, probably one of my favourite characters in this is Sir Didymus, a fox. A very courageous fox and he has his trusty steed uh, which is a old sheepdog called Ambrosius. And in order to get across the bog of eternal stench uh, Ludo howls and he summons some rocks uh, to enable them to get across. And you get a funny scene here where he gets Sir Didymus and he just goes just close your eyes and go and he just runs across the rocks and you get these like farting noises. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a classic old fart joke. Then Sarah starts to get hungry and then Hoggle gives her the peach that Jareth gave him and she falls into a sleep and this is where you go, you've got the scene with the masquerade ball and you get another David Bowie song here, it's a pretty cool scene, uh, Sarah's all dressed up like a princess and she's dancing with uh, Prince Jareth and as the song closes she pushes Jareth away and she falls into an old junkyard. And she meets this creepy old junk lady. She kind of reminds me of something out of the Dark Crystals. Very sort of steering its way towards that movie. But um, Sarah's talking to the junk lady. And as she's following her around, she ends up back in her bedroom. And she thinks she's back home. But then her bedroom starts falling apart and it all turns into junk. And then she is rescued by Sir Didymus and Ludo. And she finds herself in the Goblin City. And as they approach the gate to the city, they are confronted by a guard, but then they come to the rescue of Hoggle, and he's got this uh, mechanical Goliath, and he's trying to fight the guard. And at the end of this battle, he feels unworthy, and he feels a bit bad about giving Sarah this peach, and she forgives him. But whilst all this is going on, uh, Jareth is alerted, and he sends out his goblin army to confront him. You get a really good scene here, you get a funny scene, you get Ludo, he summons up the rocks, take out the goblins. you got Sir Didymus um, battling the goblins whilst riding around on Ambrosius. So you, you get a really good final fight scene here with these guys. And then Sarah realises that the only way she's going to be able to take on Jareth is by herself. And you get this scene here where... Um, our hero says to Sarah, well, we know you've got to go by yourself, but if you ever need us, we'll always be here. So Sarah ends up in the castle with Jareth, and it's a pretty clever scene because as she's walking up these stairs, they turn upside down and it's all very mystical and mysterious. And she thinks she's catching up with Jareth and then he's on the top of the stairs and then he's at the bottom of them. So it's all very sort of mystical and magical. And time is running out, the hourglass is vanishing. Her brother Toby is almost being turned into a goblin and she suddenly realises the book that she read at the beginning of the film and she recites the phrase, 
you have no power over me, is a classic line. And at the last second, she manages to defeat Jareth, and Jareth returns him home safely, and he turns into a barn owl, flying safely away. And then when she gets back home, she realises how important Toby is to her, and he lets him have um, her favourite toy, which is Lancelot. Her mum and dad come home and then she goes back into her bedroom and then she looks into the mirror and she realises that as she is growing up she still needs these guys from time to time and like I say it's that classic line where they come out and say you know if you ever need us and then the characters appear in her bedroom and they're all dancing around. You've got some of the goblins that turn up and of course the main characters you've got Ludo, Ambrosius, uh, Sididimus and of course you've got Hoggle as well so it's a great way for this movie to end and then of course just looking out from the window you've got the owl you've got Jareth and he flies away into the distance and then you've got the closing credits of this film and it's brilliant and there you go guys that is Labyrinth my bite signs review of Labyrinth hope you enjoyed that and um, I've no doubt a lot of you guys are fans of this movie you haven't seen it go and check it out um, if you have seen it Go and check it out again. It's pure escapism. It's a brilliant film. And you come away ultimately feeling good and singing all of those classic songs. So yeah, brilliant. So there you go, guys. Um, I will be back soon for another type of movie like this. Um, it's one I've been thinking about doing for a little while now. It is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Woody Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's... <laughs> <laughs> it's another quotable film one of my favourites so um, look out for that that will be dropping soon and a little bit of admin I am a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network so go and check out all the other shows on there I'll play a promo at the end uh, check out my Facebook page and you can find Bite Size Cinema on iTunes and YouTube and there's several other players on the internet go check it out if you just type in Bite Size Cinema Podcast Oh, and something I forgot to mention. There's a little bit of trivia I forgot to mention in the film. From one of my friends and listeners, Dan Nichols, he posted it on the page. And he said that if you look at some of the scenes in Labyrinth, you can actually see a picture of David Bowie. Um, so go check it out on the page. There's about six or seven scenes where his picture appears in the background. So it's very clever. So um, I thought I'd shout that out. Thanks, Dan. As always, he's always posting stuff on the page. It's great. So um, keep it going, man. Keep it going. Thanks for your support and thanks for everybody else's support as well. Um, I did actually have a look at the download figures. It ain't looking too bad for the show. Um, but ultimately, I do the show to entertain you guys. And more importantly, I just love talking movies. You can probably just hear it in my voice. It's just a pure bit of escapism for myself just to let you guys know that so that's why i'm here so long may it continue so keep it bite-sized keep it safe and i will see you guys soon
If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema PsyOps, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcasts, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the 13th, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello, This is the Doom Show, Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Mental Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.